cool. Looks like we're cooking. Can you hear me? Fantastic. Okay. Well, hello and welcome wherever you are, whether you're listening on the podcast on the go, whether you're sheltered under a tree somewhere in this beautiful day, or whether you're tucked up at home with your Bible open and you're ready to delve into God's Word. Um, The reason I'm doing yesterday's talk like this is because although the live stream seemed to be working in the building and we had people on it downstairs, for some reason there were all sorts of audio glitches for people elsewhere who couldn't really hear what was happening. So... Um, I just thought I'd share again some of the thoughts that I shared yesterday. And for those of you who've been journeying with us through 2023, you may have picked up on the fact that we've been going through the book of Acts. And it's been a a wonderful journey, a very challenging journey. It's a book of um, just incredible things and the church operating in beautiful ways, but also brokenness and things to learn and incredible miracles and you know, joy and sorrow all blurred together. Um, So it's been a wonderful journey. Now, in the thick of 2023 and going through Acts, we've not got quite enough stories and chapters for 52 Sundays. So this Sunday was a pause in our Acts journey. Um, And Tim invited me to preach and he asked me to just preach on something that that, that I had on my heart. And as the week went on, um, John 21 um, started to stir more and more in me out of all the ideas I had. So I thought I'd share a bit from John 21. And we're going to focus particularly on verses 15 to 23, but we will dip into all of it. So please have it open in front of you. Um, and let's see what God has for us together as we get into this now. But let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word brings life, that actually all the narratives and ideas that we have in our head that are circulating around our world are pale. They are nothing in comparison to your word. That your word changes the way that we see ourselves. It changes the way that we see the world. It changes the way that we see you. And it empowers us to go from this moment of just digging into it to a life of walking with you and knowing you by our side and 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 hopefully partnering and seeing your kingdom come on, on, on earth. And so, Lord, I pray that as we get into John 21, Lord, will we get beyond words and ideas and get to you and what you have to say. Lord, let this not be abstract, but let it be full of your glory. Amen. So, John 21, starting at at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly I tell you that when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would die. He would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Does anyone else here ever feel lost at sea? Or is that just me? Perhaps sometimes we're not as close to God as we would like to be, or that our relationships are not as healthy as we would like, or even that life is more stretched and strained than we ever thought possible, and it's wearing us thin. Does anyone else feel like the world is a little lost at sea? That society is still attempting to recapture the pre-COVID vibes where actually the grass really wasn't any greener back then. And so much has changed, so much is up in the air or hanging in the balance. I'm not asking the question to raise, to cast a dark cloud over us, but I am asking because it seems to me that feeling lost at sea is pretty commonplace. And if that's you right now, you are in good company. And I'm pretty sure that's where Simon Peter, Peter or Simon son of John, whichever name you want to use, was up to. You know, it it seems weird that he defaults back to his old way of life, that he returns to fishing. This Simon has walked with one of the most incredible people, the most incredible person, who claimed to be his Lord and Saviour for three years. He has watched Jesus perform many miracles and change countless lives. He's witnessed Jesus willing to give himself over to an unjust trial, to suffering, to mockery and to the brutality of crucifixion. Only to rise again three days later, leaving an empty tomb in his wake, the stone rolled away and scars on his hands and a resurrected body that can appear in locked rooms. And this... This is the moment that Simon chooses to go backwards to his old way of life. I'm pretty sure that Simon is a little lost at sea. Given what he's been through, there could actually be a number of reasons why. He actually might be suffering from some kind of PTSD. You know, he's been through a lot of trauma and maybe returning to the old is a a survival mechanism, something safe, something hidden, something away from all that drama. Perhaps he has some idea that now Jesus is back, their job as, as the disciples is kind of done and the Lord will take it from here. Perhaps he is hiding, worried that Jesus has caught wind of the moment where, in the, in the temple where Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. 
Maybe Simon Peter thinks he no longer is qualified to be part of Jesus' posse because of the mistakes he's made. At the very least, he's probably very confused and disorientated. You know, he's not had 2,000 years of theological literature and disciples living out the church life thing to figure out what the resurrection might mean for us in this present day and age. Once upon a time, Jesus had said that Simon would become Peter, the rock on which Jesus would build the church. But Simon Peter seems to have very little interest in that right now. In fact, what he does at the start of the chapter is lead five other disciples away from the flock, away from Jesus and back into the boat. And I think returning to fishing does them no favours either. He is unable to recapture his former success. This is six professional fishermen fail to catch anything all night. You know, being a follower of Jesus makes Simon Peter a fisher of men now. Everything else comes second. And Galilee is the wrong waters altogether. Simon is lost at sea. But there is an encouragement here for all of us this morning. Jesus did not leave Simon there. He did not leave him lost at sea. And there are a number of wonderful things, some obvious and some under the the surface that Jesus brings to the table. And Simon would not find these things anywhere else. Isn't it interesting that at the start of John 21, when the disciples are out on the boat, Jesus is fully aware of who they are. But initially, they've got no clue who he is. You see, God sees the whole picture. He knows when we sit up and when we lie down. He knows what we need, even down to the small things. He knows that we might need a hot breakfast ready and waiting for us when we reach the shore after a long, arduous night of catching nothing. You know, in a crowd of 10,000, he won't miss a thing. And in the blink of an eye, he could pick us out from the 7 billion plus others walking this earth. Now, feeling known can be wonderfully reassuring, but it's also a very vulnerable vulnerable position to be in. And it can be intimidating. You know, when you're going through a tough stage of life and someone you know and love well speaks to you in a challenging way because they know what's best for you. It can be hard to hear. And I'm pretty sure that Simon would have preferred to bypass this uncomfortable confrontation with Jesus. But the thing is, Simon's failures not only grieve Jesus, but they damage himself. And hiding from them is damaging him. And it's as though every time Simon denied Jesus in the temple, a thorn was embedded in his own side. And every time here that Jesus asks Simon if he loves him, It's as if Jesus is pulling that thorn out and sucking the poison out with it. Simon cannot put things right in his own strength or by his own merit. So far, he's got himself nowhere. Just an empty fishing net. And that's okay. It's, It's the same for all of us. We all need Jesus. And Simon needs Jesus to help him come out of hiding on the boat. He needs the encouragement of that crazy miracle of a, of a full load of 153 fish and the joy of John saying, that's the Lord. And then he needs Jesus' painfully leading question. 
to help him broach the subject of his past failings. It's as if Jesus is saying, Simon, son of John, we need to deal with that. Let me help you. Man, isn't Jesus an incredibly kind, forgiving, patient, understanding God? If I'd been Jesus, I would have gone about it so differently. I would have wanted Simon to feel the guilt, to feel the shame, to to be so ridden with his own failings inside that he's tormented. And I'd come to him and I'd say, Simon, that thing that you did to me, that hurt. But see, that's not what Jesus does here. You know, every single one of us will have let the Lord down time after time after time. And yet he does not give up on us. In fact, the Lord knows we will trip up even before it happens. If we look back to the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 13 of John, Simon basically says, when everyone else abandons you, Jesus, I will still be here, even if it leads to my death. And Jesus replies, no, you won't, Simon. You will disown me. But there will be another chance and you will follow me again. And one day, beyond your failure, yes, you will die for me. And if we collage John 13 and John 21 together, it's as if Jesus is saying to us, I know you will let me down. I know it, but I still love you. And I'll still be here when all is said and done. And it won't be the end of the story. I will not leave you lost at sea. Those of us who've heard talks on this beautiful passage before may well be familiar with the fact that when Jesus asks, do you love me? In the Greek, his word for love there is tremendous, agape. He is asking Simon, do you love me with a self-giving, sacrificial, powerful, prestigious love that would go to the ends of the earth for me? Do you love me, Simon, like I love you? You see, that's how much Jesus loves us all. And he also asks Simon, do you love me more than these? And what's interesting there is we don't know what the these is. Is it more than his peers? more than your reputation, Simon, more than your former life, more than your life now. Understandably, Simon struggles to say that he loves Jesus to that great, self-giving, sacrificial extent. It's a tall order. So each of the three times, the most love Simon can offer or profess to Jesus is, Phileo, I love you like family. It's still a strong, committed, close, caring love but it's it's interdependent he's getting something back from his brother jesus it's not necessarily love at all costs it's love with reciprocation built in and it may not be the degree of love that jesus is asking for here but jesus is still prepared to take what simon offers and run with it For you see, each time Simon professes his love for Jesus, the Lord calls Simon again to serve his people. When Jesus asks, do you love me? He's not only asking in order to bring Simon, son of John, in a healing, but also to restore Simon Peter to his calling. Jesus wants Simon to be able to live up to and live by the new name he'd already been given, Peter 
the rock on which I will build my church. And there's no way Peter's cut out for that if he's not in loving relationship with Jesus. We all need healing. We all need saving. We all need the sacrificial love of God. But we need it not only for ourselves, but also to release us into God's purposes and to release us to serving others. So the Lord won't lead us, leave us lost at sea, but he may also lead us to places we do not want to go. Notice this link between verse 7 and verse 18. I've never seen this before. In verse 7 it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. And then in verse 18, Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the, the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to Peter, follow me. So why did Jesus go from talking about loving him and tending to his flock to outfit changes and itineraries? It's as though dressing down and dressing up is indicative of something else going on in Peter. It's as if switching between huddling in the boat and pegging it to shore is also an indication of something else going on. As if It's as if Peter is in full control and calling all the shots over his life. I'd always imagined, because we perceive Simon Peter as this fly-off-the-handle, heart-on-his-sleeve, hot-headed character, that when Simon clocks who it is at the water's edge, he jumps in without a second thought. Then he wades through the waves to the shore because he just wants to see his saviour. And it's as if, as if he's, that's all he's ever wanted to do, even if he looks silly doing it. But the story isn't as black and white as that. When Jesus appears at the shore, Simon's immediate reaction is to dress up. Who puts on a thick, heavy robe before swimming? Now, you might think that this is Peter's simple mark of respect towards his Lord. But remember, at this point, Simon and Jesus have not yet broached the subject of what happened in the temple courts, where Simon Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus, as we read on, is fully aware of what went down. And when you have that denial, that betrayal in mind, what Simon is doing here is actually pretty awkward and embarrassing. In robing up, it's as if he's trying to hide the fact that they have defaulted back to being fishermen. And by jumping into the water, making a scene, he's acting as if he's besotted with Jesus and never once denied him. He hides in the boat when it suits him, but rubs shoulders with Jesus again when it's all exciting and he's there, ready at the shore. He appears devoted to Jesus' face, but denies Jesus to save his own skin when Jesus might be out of earshot. Now, I don't think Simon even realises that he's being two-faced. He's reacting to whatever is in front of him. But it is a bit self-serving, whether it's deliberate or not. And by being reactive, though he may feel in control, actually his circumstances are in control of him. 
And the thing is, we can hide from our mistakes for a while, right? We can kid ourselves into thinking that the, the pain of the past is non-existent. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we're wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus and, and pretend that bit of our lives over there that we've not let go of isn't really an issue. But you cannot hide these blind spots from Jesus. This story shows us that he's fully in the loop. And no amount of robing up or big smiles or extravagant gestures on our part will bring about our healing or restore us to a relationship with the Lord. Only Jesus can bring that healing and restoration. And it won't come on our terms. It might involve an uncomfortable re-entry into reality. It might involve an honest conversation like this one in chapter 21. And it probably will involve giving up our sense of control. Let's look at verse 18 again. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. AKA, someone will choose whether you're working in a boat or whether you're putting your life on the line for me. When it comes to following me, Simon, you do not get to control everything. So, How can we willingly trust God and let go of control? I think there are a few things that Jesus does here that make him so trustworthy. You see, Jesus' ability to see ahead into Simon's life, his ability to look back into the past, his ability to see into Simon's heart and hold it all together and cover it all with grace and talk some into a place where nothing is hidden and they're in good relationship and and let go of it and entrust Simon again with a really big calling. That gives Jesus a degree of infallibility that, that I would find in no one else. Here is someone Simon can trust. You know, maybe Jesus will lead us to places we do not want to go, but he can tr- we can trust that he knows the best route to take. Because he's seen our past and he sees into the future. He is our provider, our seer before. And he knows what we need along the way. And what if we doubt? Because that's normal and natural too. Well, let's look at a little bizarre twist at the end of the story. You'd think that Simon Peter would be relieved that his past mistakes are all out in the open. That he's been truly forgiven you think he'd be relieved that Jesus hasn't given up on his calling, on his, imp- his purpose, which is incredible, the rock on which the church will be built. And maybe in part Simon is loving his restoration, but it's like the cogs haven't fully taken into place or it's not fully like resting in his heart. He is certainly far from content, for he follows this whole thing with, Lord, what about John? Lord, what about John? Now, perhaps Simon is jealous. Jealous that John got to lean on Jesus at the dinner table. Jealous that John gets this close intimacy with the Lord. I mean, Jesus knows my repeated sin, forgives me of it and restores me. And I want to be used for his purposes. But John seems to have a better deal. I want some of that. Lord, what about John? 
Perhaps Simon is indignant. You know, John was hiding in the boat too. I'm not the only one who's gone backwards. Are you not going to have a go at him? This conversation, Jesus, isn't easy. What you're asking me to do isn't easy. What about him? You know, perhaps Simon is in admiration. I don't know if you notice that in verse 7, it's not Simon who recognises Jesus. It's John. John recognises Jesus. He's the one who says, it is the Lord. And Simon trusts John's insight so much that he just responds without a second thought. You know, John's the guy who was closest to Jesus at the table, but he was also closest to Jesus at the cross. And whilst Peter abandoned Jesus somewhere in the courts, John was there the whole way to death. He doesn't deny knowing Jesus three times. He's there all the way. And maybe Simon is thinking, I want to be more like John, you know, steady, faithful, gentle-hearted, trusted with the closest intimacy. How do I become more like John? But perhaps Simon is still grasping for that control, that sense of I get to decide when the cloak is on and when, you know, I'm stripped off and ready to fish. Going where I don't want to? Lord, that sounds horrendous. Giving up my life? That sounds terrifying. Is there not someone else who will have to go to that extent too? Will others have to tread a similar road of submission and sacrifice? Lord, what about John? What about him? You know, perhaps Simon really is scared. And maybe it's not just about following Jesus to death on a cross, but maybe he's also freaked out about following Jesus into the resurrection. Simon Peter is Jesus' disciple, his apprentice, his footstep follower, He's tried to live like Jesus these last three years. It sounds like he's going to have to die like Jesus. Does that also mean he has to rise like Jesus? And I know Jesus' disciples were, by and large, overjoyed at his return. But if you truly are a disciple of Jesus, surely the resurrection has implications for you. Just remember again, Simon goes from being at the empty tomb to in the room with the risen Jesus twice, to hiding on a boat. Resurrection in many ways is intimidating, whether we're talking about the literal resurrection of the body, which Jesus promises will be our future, but we don't really know what that actually looks like. Exciting and wonderful that it may be that we have an eternity with God on high. Or we're talking about, you know, that kind of more metaphorical resurrection, the resurrection of now and today, where we go from being worn out, broken, messed up sinners to faith-filled saints who are embracing our new life here and now and walking with the Lord into eternity. Both can seem pretty daunting. It's much easier to hide behind the past behind excuses, behind incompetencies, behind insecurities, behind our shame or self-pity. It is easy to believe that we don't have it in us to get up, back onto our feet and start again. It is easy to believe that God will never release us from those shackles of addiction or anger or hate or envy or pride or lust or ego. Then it is to believe that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. 
and that God can use evil for good, and that God can bring beauty out of ashes, that God's grace is more than enough, and that Jesus' resurrection was real, and it's for us now as much as it is for us in the future. You know, Jesus won't leave us lost at sea, but he may lead us where we do not want to go. It might feel like I'm making a bit of a jump here with saying that Simon is daunted by the resurrection. But Jesus does seem to think there's a lot going on in Simon's question. What about him? Oh, who? You you mean John? Well, maybe he'll still be here when I return again. He may not die. He may not even need a bodily resurrection. But what is that to you, Simon? I have so much in store for you. I want to bring you back from the pit of your failings. I want to give you a fresh start and a new life and this restore you to this wonderful purpose. More than a purpose that you could deserve or ask for or imagine for yourself. Some of it will be hard to face, even in death, but it will all bring me glory. So stop looking over your shoulder. Stay in your lane. This is the race I have set before you, Jesus says. No one else but you. Fix your eyes on the prize. For you see, Jesus won't leave you lost at sea, but he may lead you beyond where you thought you ever would go. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for your forgiveness. That though we fail you time and time and time and time again. And then in a crowd of 10,000, you don't miss a thing and you see it all. You see into our past, you see into our present, you see into our future. But you cover it all in grace. And you have a hope and a plan and a purpose for each of us that goes beyond our mere abilities or frailties of on our own. That you want to do stuff with our lives that brings you glory. Lord, we need your help. We need your help. We can't get there on our own. And so, Lord, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the grave, to come and rest in each of our hearts right now. And we pray particularly for those who are lost at sea, Lord, that they would know your precious mercy, your love, your forgiveness. They would experience you kind of extracting the thorns today. Even if it takes courage to face that stuff with you. And Lord, wherever you lead us, and in the words of St. Teresa, we pray that nothing would disturb us. That nothing would frighten us. Not even death. We thank you that... All things will pass away, but you, Lord, never change. We thank you that through it all, you are more than enough. We pray that you would help us to lay down our fears, our egos and our plans. And to fully embrace the grace, the healing and the calling you have for us. We pray all these things in your powerful and precious name, Lord Jesus.